Welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He, of course, is Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And the end game is upon us in episode 119 today, April 29th, 2019. This particular episode is going to be solely dedicated to Avengers Endgame. We're going to start off with non-spoilers and then dive into spoiler territory, going through every nook and cranny that this movie has to offer. And so Steve and I have been very diligent in making sure that we have not really expressed anything other than a couple of grunts here and there as we left the theater. But uh, I say we just kind of catch up with each other really quick and then dive right on in. So let me tell you, it goes without saying, of course, that our topic of the day is Avengers Endgame Review, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in this episode's detailed section of iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Otherwise, you just keep on listening. Steve, we have turned two years old on the program. Happy birthday, Russ. Happy anniversary, Steve. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> no, it, I can't believe it. It's, it's well, officially May 1st is the day that we first launched the program on iTunes and all the other places. And man, it's amazing how fast time flies, how we've been doing this for two years, which means that I guess technically now we can uh, run around and say the word no over and over and over again if we were an actual child. Yeah. <laughs> We're still crapping in our diapers, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But we look adorable doing it. <laughs> I just can't believe, though, just how we are two years old. And it's just, it's it's really, really cool to be able to look back and just see where we've come from and, and just look at where we're going. And I suppose I should tell everybody that um, Steve and I apologize for the slight Delay. tardiness. Yes. Of this particular episode, but <clears throat> it is actually due to the fact that we are in the process of improving the show itself. We were not being laggards, bums, or otherwise... Laggards uh, and slaggards. Decay of Western society. Sloths. No, no. Yeah. Well, what we ended up doing was we uh, started completely painting the, the studio itself to prepare for when we make the jump into video. It's It's a step in a long line of steps that we are just kind of crossing off the list as we go along. So this past weekend, we just completely sanded down the, the base trim, the doors. We got, uh, we, we I would say we took about seven trips to Home Depot, somewhere mm. in that vicinity. Home, definitely not sponsored by Home Depot, by the way. No, but we'll gl gladly take it. In yeah, yeah, Come yeah, yeah. But what a productive weekend it was. And we are now sitting in a room that is still mostly covered in plastic and uh, painter's tape. But it's it's super cool to be able to just look around and see how we are actually making tangible progress. Steve, what do you think about us turning two years old? Uh, well, you know, Rush, I, uh, I think it's freaking fantastic. Well, do you know? It's freaking great. I think we're getting used to this kind of thing. You know, we're getting there anyway. We're getting there. I believe you we're are correct. There. I had a thought. It would be interesting as if they had soundproof paint. Soundproof paint. Yes. I don't think that's ever going to be a thing, Steve. Russ, that's why it's called entrepreneurship. 
It's quite. It's called. Uh, you know, you, you you think of ideas, you get them patented, you make a million bucks. I think what you're looking for is pipe dreams. Steve. Nah, I don't know about that. Paint is a very thin substance, Steve. I don't think it has the ability, mm. unless there was some kind of amazing futuristic nanotech of sorts. Well, that's what people thought about screens until they became foldable. <laughs> Not really sure I follow your logic, but I'm going to say, yeah, yeah okay. Okay, okay bro. Okay, Steve. Anyhow, what do you think about us turning to? I, I already explained. I want to hear the truth, Russ. <laughs> what, you think I was lying the whole time? <laughs> I was telling fibs. I'm already, if you were listening, uh, you would have heard Yeah, me. no, I, I wouldn't. I was looking at our painting areas that we missed. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, overall, I am very much excited about where we are at right now. Obviously, it's not happening as quickly as we had originally intended. Originally, the plan was we were going to have our first episode be um, in video with this episode itself as we reviewed the end game, but that is no longer the case. Yeah, so we're going to be go there, we're we're, we're going to see where. Uh, where this goes. But perhaps if we're lucky enough, maybe later this year we'll be able to do it. But we're going to keep on shoving coal in this gravy train. Exactly. We're just going to keep going and keep going. We're, we're just going to tease you. That's what we're, we're here to tease you and please you. Well, practice your snaps because it's time for the topic of the day. years ago I fought my way out of that cave became Iron Man realized I loved you I know I said no more surprises but I was really hoping to pull off one last one the world has changed none of us can go back
I like this one. <laughs> Our topic of the day is Avengers Endgame. And mentioned earlier, we are going to be doing a spoiler-free version, just a high-level take on what we thought of the film before taking the spoiler elevator down and having ourselves a lovely in-depth analytical conversation. I have some fun little things to talk about here before we actually get into the detail of our reactions. First and foremost is Avengers Endgame has garnered $1.2 billion over the opening weekend. Of course, no other film has ever done that before. It's just, it is absolutely crazy how much money this thing has made so far. And in fact, when you look at the projections, they kept climbing as the, the week got closer and closer. Like at first they were thinking, oh, I think they're, they're projecting $700 million, which even by itself, that is an incredible amount of money to make on an opening weekend. But then it crept up to $800 million. And then the projection was $850 to $900 million, And that's where it kind of stopped. Then on Sunday, the numbers came out, and even this number is not a final number, but what they were looking at thus far at like, I don't know, I think it was around like 4 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, is that they had made $1.2 billion. That is an insane amount of money. Well, I'm sure when you open the movie <laughs> a day early, well, not really a day early, but an evening early, and then you <laughs> stagger in all the shows up until the official like release, then it gives you a little more time to make some more money, Rose. When you think about also how there have been other films in the past where they're oftentimes they'll have Wednesday night. Like they, they've actually had the sneak preview night be on a Wednesday night. And then Thursday is just all day long um, showings and everything else. This didn't, to my knowledge, did not have any kind of Wednesday showings that they started it on Thursday. So again, that is just, that is just an incredible amount of money. And Honestly, I think that there is probably a really healthy chance that they'll hit $2 billion by next Sunday. The end of next Sunday could, I mean, with, with where they're at by on this past Sunday of 1.2, I think that there is a, a really good chance that they could just hit that needle at $2 billion. So a massive achievement right there. The entire Marvel Cinematic Universe has now hit 1999 billion dollars in revenue over the the last 10 plus years 10 10 to 11 years it's just that's just that is an awful lot of greenbacks right there Steve. <laughs> it's an awful lot of benjamins and lincoln's yeah exactly <laughs> now but to put things into context avatar internationally made 2.8 billion dollars at the box office so my question to you steve is do you think that Avengers Endgame has a chance of beating Avatar for the number one spot? Well, because I don't really care for Avatar at all, I don't really like that movie, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about logically speaking? Do you, do you think that it has the legs to be able to, to get past 2.8 bill? I think it has the knees, yes. Okay. The ankles. The knees and toes. <laughs> the ligaments. 
You know, I think, like I said, I think that when it comes to it getting to two billion, I really do believe it that it'll be able to do it um, by the end of, of this coming weekend. The 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 remainder, however, like that, the eight hundred mil. I mean, that's a lot of money. Oh, it's a lot of days from here to there. Eight hundred mil. I was thinking about okay, what kind of competition is this film going to have? And honestly, I can't really think of a whole lot. Like, I do know there's that Detective Pikachu movie that's oh, coming out. So good. It's probably going to pull away some of the kiddies, <laughs> the kiddos. Um, there's John Wick Chapter Three mm. that might pull away some folks. Mm. But other than those two films, I i mean, can you think of any films that are coming out in the summertime? Well, John Wick, isn't that coming out next week? I believe it's in May. I'm not no, sure okay. what yeah. date I'm exactly. not sure that's going to pull away too much. But I mean, can you honestly think of any other films that are slated, like like big summer blockbuster type films? I, I, I all of a sudden was just thinking about it today and I, I cannot think of... A single title. I can't think of anything that's coming out in the summertime. Normally, there are like four or five films that they'll be teasing over the the first and second quarter. But do you see? You got anything on your phone there, Steve? May seventeenth, Russ. What's May seventeenth? John Wick Chapter Three. Yeah, I, I said John Wick Chapter Three. You said you didn't know when it was coming out. I said Russ, there's a lot of time between now and then. No, I'm asking you if you know of any films coming out in the summertime, June, July, August timeframe. Uh, when's Toy Story coming out? Toy Story 4. Now, that's probably a summertime one. <laughs> I'm not sure when. I If I had to guess, it would be June. Hmm. If, I, if I was a betting man, that's when I would think it would be. <clears throat> However, the lack of response tells me that you also can't really think of a whole lot of movies that are slated to come out in the summertime, which is kind of unusual, because usually summertime is kind of the, the big quarter for films like you know they've been working on it all year long and then they just kind of drop it kind of well, starting in may yeah the holidays are kind of are big too a lot of stuff comes out on like thanksgiving christmas people get tired of dealing with their families want to go to the movies so uh <laughs> you annoy me i'm gonna go see a movie okay i've eaten had my, my fill i'm out of here <laughs> you want for a movie what are you guys going to go well, after just one week in the latest Avengers saga has already entered the all-time domestic top 50, right at number 50, beating the lifetime grosses of so many superhero films in just a few days. And actually, that may, that number probably has been updated since I took these notes down. It's probably uh, more, at this point, maybe in the 20s, 20 to 25, somewhere around there. But also, one of the things that I thought about, too, was how... Disney already has eight untitled Marvel films on the calendar through 2022. Plus, Sony launches the next one in the series um, of Spider-Man, which is the Far From Home. It's kind of the collaboration between Marvel Studios and Sony. Um, so I think that um, this brand will, is going to live on for uh, a long time there, Steve. <laughs> No, I think they're going to stop where they're at because there's that. that's all the money that they're going to make, Russ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think that there's any more future for it. Nobody cares to make anymore. So I want to know, Steve, because we haven't talked about it. I want to know what your high-level thoughts are of Avengers Endgame. I liked it. I did not like it as much as I did Infinity War. I think they kind of put themselves in a bit of a a trap and of sorts because 
they have so much going on and so much that happened with so many characters with all the character stories and so much time or lack of time to tell it that you have a lot of stuff going on all at once. And it seems like part of it was rushed part. And I'm not rushes in like cheap and just thrown at you all at once. And it kind of made me stop and think, wait, wait, that wouldn't happen. This other would have happened over here. And you told the story this way back in like, you know, guardians of the galaxy volume two or whatever. So there's things like that that was going on. But overall, um, I think they, they kind of had to tell it that way because they really didn't have any other choice. So what are you talking about with guardians of the galaxy two? Or well, I, mean, you- I just threw that out there. I mean, oh, okay. there, there's, <laughs> I just threw that out there and there. So they've had quite a few stories with the guardians, with Thor, with mm-hmm. Iron Man, you know, and we're, we're tracking all with these stories and all the details and events that happen in these stories. And then when, when, this movie happens, it seems like they're trying to recap all that and they're not recapping all the details correctly. Really? Yes. So what details can you think of any that, that you, that are not correct? Um, well, in the spoiler section, well, yeah, maybe we'll wait till the spoiler section, but I mean that, that is a controversial statement right there, Steve, because, I'm not exactly sure I can think of anything that is not correct. I think that they've done their due diligence when it comes to this sort of thing. Mm, there'd be a lot of yeah, comic book mm, fanboys out possibly. there that'd be losing their lunch if it was uh, the case. But, you know, what? I'm, I'm going to keep an open mind. And when we get into the spoiler section, I, I'm curious to hear uh, some things that you think are in error. Well, that sounds great, Rush. And part, and I could be wrong. I mean, I haven't watched all nineteen movies right before. I, you're like, <laughs> and like I said earlier, in this week before I watched this, but there's a lot of other stuff that's just hard to believe. Like where they projected it earlier before, like in the last movie, and then this movie comes, and then it's it's pretty noticeably different, and the two kind of don't coincide as good, I think, as they should have. Mm-hmm. That being said, I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but I'm just being critical. I see. You being critical. Yes. It wouldn't be a joygasm without that, now would it? So, yeah. What about you, Rose? So, I have a number of thoughts. Um, I thought that the film was very poetic in its approach. I think that there were a lot of things that came full circle whether it was the individual character stories or plot lines, as well as the team itself. And oftentimes that's kind of a classical approach to any kind of, of a longstanding story. That, that, that is something that, that really helps to just bring and tie everything together, which I think is really nice. I appreciated the tonal range of the film. I think that it was really cool Um, And we'll get more into this in the spoiler section of the podcast, but I really did um, just enjoy how they didn't, it wasn't like, like this shallow one dimensional action fest. Like, like they actually took the time to really explore some, some facets of the characters. I think that this particular film is a culmination of an 11 year emotional investment 
that we've all had. When you think about how the first Iron Man was released in 2008, which just blows my mind. I mean, that was 11 years ago. Well, 10 and a half, depending on when the release date was. But basically 11 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's great how they were very conscious of that in this film. And so they, they were just able to really just bring that out and, and, and having that self-awareness of the, of it being this culmination, I think was um, one of the unique traits of this film. I want to extend massive kudos to the Russo brothers for orchestrating a fluid, organic viewing experience, uh, especially with such a large cast. And we'll, and we'll get more into that later on, but my goodness, I mean, just my hat goes off to those brothers the music, of course, had a grandiose rendition of the Avengers theme, as well as some of the other themes as well. We'll get more into that later. And uh, I got to say, you know, uh, it's kind of bittersweet knowing it's the last movie in the uh, Infinity War saga kind of thing, as well as just, just this phase of the, the Marvel movies. So... Those are those are kind of my my high level thoughts. Without further ado, let's uh, saunter into the spoiler elevator. Saunter or swagger? Well, I, I suppose either one is just fine. How do you think Thanos would enter the spoiler elevator? Because he doesn't really saunter and he doesn't really swagger. He kind of just storms. I think he would just step to the beat as he's snapping his fingers. <laughs> oh, hey, hi, how you doing? <laughs> Hopefully he'll be in a good mood. Otherwise, I think people will be uh, poofing and reappearing and poofing and reappearing. Like, hey, hey take the second elevator. It's only, this one has a weight limit. Do you think that while he's in the spoiler elevator, he would leverage his reality stone to kind of do a makeover of the elevator? Actually, he probably wouldn't take the elevator at all. He'd probably just portal up. You know what? You were totally right. I know I am. Leveraging the blue power stone. Not the power stone. The is it, What is it called? It's not the teleportation stone. Oh, jeez. It's, it's, I always think of it as being in the, the Tesseract stone, because that's where it was. But uh, Anyway, we're here, Steve. We are in spoiler territory. And I am looking forward to going through this. So, first and foremost, let's get into cast and crew, followed by plot, then script, cinema photography, soundtrack, little costume action, and then we'll, <laughs> we will get into some trivia after that, which, by the way, there's a lot of juicy morsels in that little I section. bet there is. So, cast and crew. Okay. To reiterate, this is such an epic cast. I actually made a point to go through IMDb and just, this is a partial list, but I mean, let me just, let me just list for these names here. It is crazy. You have Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Don Cheadle, Paul Rudd, Benedict Cumberbatch, Chadwick Boseman, Brie Larson, Tom Holland, Karen Gillan, Zoe Saldana, Evangeline Lilly, Tessa Thompson, Renee Russo, Elizabeth Olsen, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Tom Hiddleston, Denai Guria, Palm Clementif, Dave Batista, John Slattery, Tilda Swinton, John Favreau, Marissa Tomei, 
Angela Bassett, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, William Hurt, Kobe Smolders, Winston Duke, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Gwyneth Paltrow, Robert Redford, Josh Brolin, Chris Pratt, Samuel L. Jackson, and more. I mean, wow. <laughs> Can you think of another film that has that many AAA people in it? Well, no, but most of those AAA people just were in it for about six minutes. But still, I mean, when you think about the sheer logistics of having to schedule that and structure it around people, because I mean, they have multiple projects all going on, and it's not like they're only in Avengers. But also, too, like, like there were several scenes in the film where you had a lot of those people there. I mean, like, just it, I would think that I mean, and this, of course, is just the cast. We're not talking about the crew on top of that. I mean, it's got to be at times feeling like you're herding cats because you're having to like try and get everything to work, whether it's trying to, to book certain um, locations for the shoot or you're trying to get certain unions to cooperate or you're trying to get the celebrities' schedules to line up, whatever it is. I mean, it's it has got to be such a, a monumental effort to get everything to just be a perfect storm of coordination. Having said that, though... I absolutely loved seeing everybody in this film. What do you think, Steve? Well, no, I didn't love seeing everybody in this film. Of course I did, Russ. Of course I did. Of course you did. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't I? This is what I... You paid the big bucks for. <laughs> yeah, I know. I paid for your ticket. <laughs> well, moving right along into plot... <laughs> So um, one of the things I thought was super cool was at the beginning, I loved how this movie started out with Hawkeye losing his family. I thought that that was actually a really great way to start this whole thing off just because at the end of um, Infinity War, we see Thanos snap his fingers. We see a lot of um, comrades um, bite the dust and and you see a bunch of other folks, um, citizens and whatnot, also just going poof and... I think what was interesting was that in the previous film, we really didn't see Hawkeye at all. He was noticeably absent from Infinity War. And so I thought it was very fitting to be able to have this film start out with him and seeing firsthand just what his experience was after Thanos had snapped his fingers and just with him... Um, you know, giving his daughter some archery lessons and having his family prepare some kind of like picnic dinner thing out on the, the, the farm there or ranch, whatever you want to call it. Um, I thought that was just, that was a, a just, I don't know, really palpable. In fact, you could hear an audible groan, like a, like a sympathetic groan from the, the theater audience when that was the, just me, the first daughter, <laughs> that was my stomach. <laughs> it was quiet. And all you hear is, Oh man, people are sad. No, I didn't eat dinner before I got here. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> Steve, why'd you bring a preamp into the theater? Well, I just want everybody to be able to hear it. <laughs> so you had um, a lot of other types of unique relationships as well, where, um, you know, Hawkeye, of course, he goes on a bit of this rampage. What did you think of? I mean, for me, I think it was somewhat predictable where with Hawkeye losing his family, he just all of a sudden just didn't really feel much anymore. He definitely hardened himself. 
Um, you could tell that his aesthetic got a little more edgier and he was just trying to have some semblance of control going out and trying to rid as the, the world with as much uh, evil people as, as possible or of as, of, yeah. of as many evil people as possible. No, he was, uh, he was Marvel's death wish. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> Basically. Um, and then, of course, it cuts over to Tony Stark and Nebula out in space. They were they somehow managed to get the Guardian ship um, back up and running, although it's like running on, on auxiliary power and that sort of thing. I thought it was really neat to see the friendship between those two because up until this point, really, I mean, Nebula has been just kind of this... this um, linear-minded character, yeah. huh? Nemesis, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like just, just being a character that like is just absolutely obsessed with trying to win Thanos's approval and affection, and and she's just she's been so calloused and cold-hearted the whole time that actually seeing her care for a very anorexic-looking Tony Stark. I mean, he was malnourished, and of course, still trying to. Um, not even heal from his mortal wounds, but just try and manage it. Um, I don't know. I, I thought that was a, a very powerful scene. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. It wasn't just Tony Stark, uh, you know, talking into his helmet and reflecting on his life and where he's been and wanting to get home to his family. But it was that bond between, um, uh, you know, advanced cyborg that Tony's never created before and this completely, who's trying to be human and can't. Yeah. And Tony, who is very human, and they're playing a little paper football, you know, and he's trying to make some fun out of out of their situation. <laughs> I know. I, I, I really enjoyed that scene. Yeah, no, I, I did too. I thought that, that was really cool. And I, and I liked how they they took the time. I think that's, that's one of the, the biggest positives about this particular movie is that they really took the time during the first half of the movie to be able to explore the aftermath of just where these characters right. are psychologically, emotionally. I think that that's, the, it was just really neat. And especially like once again, having a cast this large, it makes for a rich opportunity to be able to explore some of those relationships that perhaps we haven't seen before. And so like, for instance, like the Tony Stark and the Nebula friendship thing, I thought was just great seeing more of like Black Widow with Captain America or um, I mean, even seeing like Rocket Raccoon with Thor. It was interesting how they continued that kind of friendship where like, you know, obviously further down the, the, the plot, they go together to try and achieve or, or uh, not achieve retrieve, excuse me, retrieve one of the, uh, the power stone, power stones. What the heck are they called? What are they called, Steve? Infinity stone. Infinity for us? I don't stones. know. Thank you. I keep, I don't know why I keep going with the, my default is the power stone. Maybe because of the glow. You know, the Dreamcast had a good game called power stone. Anyway. So, I mean, just, I, I'm trying to remember all the different moments like that, but I did really appreciate how they, they took that time. What did you think of how the first half of the movie itself was focused on just showing for like five years? Like I think they said for, for like five years or five years later, you had these leftover Avengers trying to find some semblance of purpose. Well, I mean, it made perfect sense. Um, I mean, where do you pick up from there? And half the population's gone. You're used to seeing people 
wandering around the streets and playing. And I mean, you know, when Captain America met Sam, they were jogging around. I mean, there were people exercising, walking their dogs. And now they're like, the streets are clear. Where do you, I mean, all your, half your friends and family are all gone. Maybe all of them are gone. You know, who knows? And Thanos didn't pick. It was just half the population. So uh, where do you pick up? Where do you go? I, I, at the same time, there's, you know, there's no more villain. Well, hardly any villains to fight that aren't uh, just regular humans because they're gone too. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, they're just twiddling their thumbs. Okay. Anybody want to fight just to fight? You know, <laughs> we're Avengers. We, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you pick up life and continue doing something other than fighting bad guys? I did feel as though that they even struggled with their own identity a little bit. Um, and we saw that with quite a few different situations. Like, you know, Captain America was going to these these little focus groups to offer support for folks who had lost people. You had Black Widow who she was really just trying to keep some semblance of the Avengers unit operational and having just like your check-ins and try, trying to see what we could, they could do so that way they had some semblance of communication and just, once again, that sense of purpose. You had Thor, which we got to talk about Thor. I was very <laughs> surprised to see like how Thor lost his physique. I was not expecting that at all. I thought that was so funny to see that. And it was actually really refreshing because every time we see Chris Hemsworth topless, the man is like a living Leonardo da Vinci painting of sorts. Well, even before then, and Infinity, almost did it. And Infinitors, <laughs> the first movie, <laughs> when he was speaking with Rocket Raccoon, he was mentioning all who, who, who he had lost. He's yeah. lost pretty all of Asgard. His planet's gone. Yeah. And up until this point, I mean, Infinity War, they were saying, oh, you know, he wiped out, and Thanos wiped out, wiped out half of Asgardian people, but the whole ship blew up. So I don't know where the other half went really, <laughs> but, but I mean, he lost, okay, fine. He lost half of his people right? and he lost his parents. He lost Loki. So he didn't have much. And I remember him talking, even his own sister turned it, on him and plucked out his eye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'll keep that. So anyway, he doesn't have much to lose, but he, he apparently did have more to lose than he thought because that little exchange between, between him and, and rocket raccoon he was a bit shaken, like, okay, well, this has to be done, and whatever, you know, like, you know, I don't have much to lose. And then when you see him sitting there in solitude, elbows on his knees, and he's looking off into space, no expression, just distant, right? Yeah. I mean, that is new for Thor. Mixed, and then later on, now five years later, <laughs> he's just, you know, the the duding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he totally looked like the dude from the Big Lebowski, which was yeah. great. I love seeing that. Well, that even Tony Stark referred him to that. To the dude. did he? Yeah. Ah, oh, I think I missed that. Well, there, there was a ton of I don't, I don't know unneeded pop culture references throughout the whole. Like, okay, I got it. Okay, pop culture reference. Pop culture reference. Another pop culture reference. The, I got it. Okay. There is one that um, I'll get to in just a sec, but I want to just talk a little bit more about Thor, and that is. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, if, if we back it up a little bit to when they find Thanos on that garden planet, I thought that it was, I, okay, first of all, I did not expect that to happen. I did not expect how easy it was just to off him. 
And we, you know, we, of course we find out that he had used the, the gauntlet once more to actually get rid of the power stones, which left Thanos just extremely vulnerable and weakened, you know, it just really injured him pretty badly. But I was really shocked at, you know, like with, with Thor, I mean, he came in, I mean, he immediately chops off his arm and then as Thanos is talking, I mean, he goes and he just lops off his head. I mean, like, we are seeing a much more take no prisoners, no patience Thor. Like, like there was definitely, I think, a lot that he felt was his fault because he didn't stop Thanos and he was the one who could have. But I think it's it's interesting where they're taking his particular character arc. Well, you got to think, too, that they have hardly a team assembled together and they have no army. It's just this handful of, of people. And Thanos has always been one step ahead of them throughout the entire journey. And he's, he's very powerful, even without the gauntlet. And they don't know really what to expect. This is just a trap. Um, so you got to think they're going to be pretty on edge and they're going to take every opportunity to uh, mortally wound him if they can. I so, mean, if you remember it too, even the other heroes who were there, I mean, they were looking at him like, whoa, like they were not prepared. It wasn't like they were all like off of them. Right. No, yeah, though they were surprised. But I think they're also that they were surprised because this is the one guy who's going to have the most information of how you bring your friends back. And now he's gone. So right. now what do you do? So I think it was astonishment plus surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, going forward into the film, of course, one of the, the big plot points is time travel. And this is kind of going back to some of what you were talking about, but with all the, the pop culture references, because I remember there was one point where they had fun just listing all the different time travel movies. I was particularly surprised at how they dogged Back to the Future. Yeah, I know. I was like, nah. I was nah, really nah, nah, surprised nah, nah, nah. About, about how, and especially considering that Alan Silvestri, who is the composer of the Avengers movies, he was also the composer to the Back to the Future trilogy. But it, I mean, aside from that, it was just interesting how they they had a very like the the script had a very kind of I don't know elitist, calloused approach right. to Back to the Future, which I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, there probably are some things about it, like like in terms of the space time continuum or whatever it is that is you know not correct or whatever. But at the same time, I mean, that movie was so well acted. It's one of the the 80s classics, I mean, it's it's beloved by tons of folks. And honestly, I just have to say, when it came to the time travel aspect of this particular film, I think that the, the gravity of the situation with, with Back to the Future was a lot more palpable than it was with the Avengers. Right. I think the Avengers, you know, like they were able to, to figure out how to do the time travel thing. But there wasn't enough time like dedicated to going into just, okay, how is this going to work? What do we need to be careful of? And I think that that was what Back to the Future really excelled at, was that any time they went to a different point in time, there was always a, a risk of consequence. And I think that that was what was kind of, it was largely lacking in this particular film. Yeah. Back to the Future, I mean, it didn't matter if you were in the past or if you were in the future or like, you know, any time that they found themselves like being forced to interact with their future self or past self or whatever it is, 
there was always that that sense of tension in the air because you did not want them to mess up their situation any more than they already had. I mean, that, that was kind of one of the ongoing questions is, is that if a time machine actually did exist, would it be worth using or would the user end up just mucking up and, and making all things terrible because the slightest seemingly inconsequential little change could have drastic effects long-term when you return to your present, which could be an alternate present altogether. Did you have the same kind of feeling? Yeah, I did. Um, and to start off, it seemed like they were using that those pop culture references and especially back to the future because they were trying to keep Marvel humor throughout. Yeah. As if it was the audience was expecting because it's a Marvel Marvel movie that they had to be funny somehow. And because they were talking about time travel and pretty much everybody who's been, who's going to watch this movie knows or has seen about back to the future that they, I don't know. So that's, that's kind of the, the line that I drew from it, but I got, I, yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, throughout the, <laughs> the whole, like jumping back and forth in time, uh, and they're, they were screwing up throughout. I mean, mm. all this, this cataclysm of stuff happened and then like the future turned out absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, but also with the whole thing with the quantum realm, I thought was kind of odd too, because with, uh, Banner Hulk doing trial by error mm. with this quantum realm and Ant-Man going back in and then coming coming back with different ages, but mm-hmm. only being gone for a little while or at the end when they send um, Captain America back to put all the time stones in and then he come, they, they say he's only going to be gone for five seconds. Well, then it got me thinking about, okay, well, if Ant-Man's mom, who was stuck in the quantum realm for pretty much all of Ant-Man's father's life, finally came back, she wouldn't have been her older self. She would have been like pretty much her same self that went back in the first place. Well, the, okay, so the quantum realm itself, when it came to Ant-Man and the Wasp, there were no time travel elements activated at that point in time. It was simply just a method of her being able to right. shrink to no, microscopic no, And levels. I get that, but even when uh, Ant-Man was gone in the quantum realm from when the time everybody got dusted to five you know, years oh, yeah. later, he uh-huh. came back and he's like, I, I, there's nothing happening. Like, I'm still me. I've only been gone for like five seconds, but five years went by. They had a little dialogue about that. Right. Yeah. No, he, he came back and, but I don't think enough time had passed for him to like age a ton. Like, like Michelle Pfeiffer's character was what was, I did appreciate. So some, some of the areas of the time travel that I did appreciate with this film is I liked how they took the time to showcase some of the oopsie daisies. Like for instance, bringing Paul Rudd back as an old person versus a baby, that sort of thing. I think it was good to showcase that because then that started to, introduce that whole notion of consequence of like, Hey, you know, time travel is nothing to be trifled with. Like it's, it's something that like you have to really, I mean, of course, you know, in the real world to our knowledge, it does not exist. So how do you present it to the masses in a way where it could conceivably, you know, be humored as like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see how that would work. And I think, you know, like, for instance, when they went down, I think also one of the problems was the the actors, when they were in those situations, they were not reacting to the fact that they were back in time. Like, if you or I were to all of a sudden find ourselves for the first time using some sort of time travel device, and all of a sudden we are in the past, 
and we're seeing a situation play out that we were a part of and we're seeing our past selves, we would freak out. I mean, right. like we would just be like, this is, we'd act like Marty McFly. Yeah, this is heavy. <laughs> but the thing about it though, is, is just having that constant type of response to the altered environment, to the people who you're dealing with and that sort of thing. The more that the actors actually respond to that, the means that you as the as the movie going viewer will indirectly subconsciously also respond to that because you're empathizing with what the character is going through. But there really wasn't a ton of that. I did like how they were able to go back and for instance, and like go, go kind of like to the first Avengers movie, you know, where when, when Loki is uh, bringing down destruction and stuff and, being able to see what was going on from different vantage points. But I didn't feel as though they, they drilled deep enough with that. And I just, that is something that, that I wish that they had done more of. I did appreciate, however, how they had new scenes that we kind of almost got to see kind of a behind the scenes extended version of what happened after Loki surrendered. I thought that was super cool. What would have been neat was if they popped in, a little bit too late to the first Avengers movie where they're mm. eating at that restaurant at the post credit scene. <laughs> the shawarma? Yeah. yeah that's where, <laughs> and like, hey, and they're all, everyone's eating at that table and they all look like, oh my gosh, and like the whole team was looking at each other. Yeah. Uh, that'd been funny. I think what I, and again, I, this is, the, I look at this as, you know, since they decided to, to go the time travel route for this, um, I really wanted to see cause and effect. I wanted to see different situations where perhaps be, oh, of course they are all first time travel time travelers. No one has done this in the Marvel cinematic universe. So you have to come up with scenarios as the, as the screenplay writer, or even as the director where you're thinking, okay, obviously you're going to make mistakes. How are those mistakes going to impact what happens later on in the film? I just think that the, that would just be a Pandora's box of opportunity there where you, like, and again, this is what back to the future, you know, it, it goes back to the whole thing of like how, you know, they rimp on back to the future, but back to the future kind of schooled them a bit on like how to do a proper time travel film because you had situations all the time in back to the future that just, I mean, like even, even in the first back to the future film, the fact that, um, you know, Marty shoves his dad out of the way the last second and the car hits him uh, instead of his dad. And, and then all of a sudden his, his mom starts to fall for him. And as a result, like his siblings and him are becoming more increasingly at risk well, they, to they, not exist at all. Well, I mean, yeah, they started being erased from his existence. Exactly. Right. That's huge. I mean, right. I mean, it doesn't matter how many times you see that movie. I mean, by the time he's up on that high school stage playing a guitar and he starts to fade from existence, that is seriously, that, that is intense. Yeah. And you realize how much responsibility is on the shoulders of someone who decides to go back in time with something like that. So I don't know, like, like when it comes to, to having, um, you know, like kind of a, a unique visitor or traveler going to a different time period like that, I personally wanted to see in this film 
a more dire situation. Like, like they had a situation where, for instance, like with the, with the Tesseract, where it spilled out of the briefcase and Loki grabs it and goes down. And I remember in the theater going, oh no, but, but it was, a, it was a playful, oh no, like, oh cool. Like, like, okay, right. it's getting more complicated. And I think that's the biggest thing I wanted to see was just, you have all these infinity stones that are at different places and, and different time zones. And you have these Avengers who've never gone time traveling ever in their lives find themselves on these alien planets or in the past or whatever else. And what kind of situations do they find themselves in? Are there situations where some of them get stuck back there? They can't get back. If you recall, they had that kind of red serum stuff that allows them to, to travel back and forth. And they did elude a little bit to that of like, Hey guys, you literally only have one more thing to do or one more or travel thing before you run out. That kind of plays indirectly to Back to the Future as well because of the plutonium thing. Right. You know, what's the line from that Doc Brown said before he leaves? He's like, he he like laughs and he says something about like, like one stick, one trip, I must be out of my mind. You know, oh, right. <laughs> it was right before the Libyans came. Yeah, I can't, the Libyans! Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly how the, the line was. But again, that was something that was taken. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I can't help but wonder if that was more of a playful jab at Back to the Future. Perhaps they didn't really mean it. And it was more intentional in that way to like, even though they they jabbed Back to the Future, they ended up kind of borrowing some of the same things and, and actually secretly applauding Back to the Future. Yeah, well, it just goes to show that Time. If you're going to deal with time travel in a movie, it's a it's a huge and heavy concept, and when you only have three hours to tell this enormous amount of characters what happened to them, where they're going, where they've been, and wrap it all up in the end, and you're basically running through this time travel aspect of the story at 100 miles an hour, and it causes you to stop and think. Wait, no, wait, no, hold on, that wouldn't happen. Okay, wait a minute. Now they're not acting like they should be acting because like they're they're seeing a very young version of themselves. Tony Stark is actually interacting with his dad, and he, yeah, he thinks it's cool, but he's not entirely blown away. Pretty much list another character who interacted with their themselves, and it's the same exact thing, but they just kind of pushed it along, pushed it along, and just to, just to move the the story. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I get, you know, going back to to my my idea of how. It would be, I, for one, really wanted to see them get into those dire circumstances where, like, it wasn't just a cut and dry, oh, I got the Infinity Stone, I'm going to come back, I'm good to go. Like, perhaps you would have, like, one or two of them come back successfully, but the majority of them would be in these really bad situations that they couldn't figure out their, their way out of. And I liken this, once again, to Back to the Future, but in the sense of, like, when you think of the, the first Back to the Future film... And you, you know that Marty McFly is in the, in the DeLorean. He has to punch that DeLorean toward the wire that's across the road at exactly the right time with the, that the lightning strikes the clock tower and it goes down the wire and is able to supercharge the, the time machine and get Marty back to 1985. And of course, <laughs> what happens? I you have all, it. like anything and everything that could go wrong right. goes wrong. You have plugs that get unplugged. You have Doc Brown trying to get this thing all patched up in time and everything. I mean, it is literally down to the nanosecond that he's able to get stuff fixed and, and safely get Marty back to 1985. Just to talk about the story, I love that story. <laughs> I love that movie. It was, I mean, it's seriously yeah. it's really good. And that was just the first film. And then when you go into Back to the Future 2, 
you know, you have things that are going on into the, into the future and, and dealing with the family there. And then if you recall at the end of back to the future two, he winds up being back in the past, right? When his, his previous self goes to 1985 and doc like faints. Cause he's like, <laughs> I just sent you to the future. He's like, yeah, I'm back. I'm back <laughs> from the future. So, awesome. so when you think about how that whole thing played out, imagine extrapolating that concept with the Avengers that would be so amazing to right. see. Once again, think about that cast. You have a ton of people with that cast. How do you leverage that cast in a way that would just be a nail biter of an experience? You have, and again, they, they set it up in, in the sense that you had like several different teammates going different places, but having certain folks be stuck in the past, not sure how to get back try and figure out some miraculous way to, to, do, to, to indeed make it back. And this brings me to this next point, which is, and I know I'm kind of skipping around a little bit here, but toward the end, you know, during the huge epic battle sequence, all of a sudden these rings or portals start to open up. And we see, of course, a lot of our beloved heroes coming back. I would have much rather have preferred to have had these different teammates actually go back in time to before they returned to dust and bring them to the present using some kind of networked time travel thing. So instead of it being this convenient thing of, oh, they're just in like some kind of soul stone portal thing or whatever, and they're coming through, like imagine if like, Thanos is like about to deliver the final killing blow to Captain America. And all of a sudden these other characters are like sequentially and, or, or, you know, and, and just like he, like a little group here, a little group there are all of a sudden able to come through. And what if let, let's take it one step further. What if you had certain Avengers who were fighting Thanos in an alternate past situation at the same time that you had certain Avenger teammates fighting the Thanos that just went through time. And so then any kind of injury that any either party sustains would then affect that other future version of themselves. So if you have like, for instance, like a sword strike against a cheek that would cause a, you know, a wound to happen, then the future self would all of a sudden have a scar that would materialize on the cheek itself. I mean, do you see like the realm of possibilities that could have been leveraged in a situation like this, that would have made this movie that was already really, really cool. In my opinion, be all of a sudden just the, the pantheon of, of just, how these time travel movies could be. I, I, I definitely do that. And, and that's partially why I'm saying that it was a little bit not, well, kind of rushed in a way. There were, I, I think, and there has to be, I would be amazed if there's not multiple endings that they shot and or captured or maybe just screenplayed that they might have on the Blu-ray or the 4K version of the of the movie when it comes out. I would be amazed if there's not. Yeah. Because a movie of this scale with so many characters and so many possibilities of what could happen uh, and stuff that feels like maybe it should have happened but didn't, I don't know. It, to me, it would make sense and it'd be a, it'd be a treat to see if, if they uh, included it. It really would. And and just with that, that example that I was giving, you know... You, the classic approach is you have your protagonists be set up with something, you have your exposition, and then you have the conflict 
that they had that they find themselves in, you place your protagonists in a seemingly impossible situation to get out of. And at the end, they find some sort of miraculous way to survive and be triumphant in the end. And that's just, I mean, everybody who loves a good story loves that, that classic approach to these things. I mean, you could even have once again, the, the problem, like for instance, like with Steve Rogers, you know, we see him as an old man at the end, right? You know, and, and this would be kind of problematic with, with this particular character, because I do think it was important that Captain America was there fighting Thanos in the, the, the renewed or modified present. But the idea of having certain characters that perhaps could not make it through for whatever reason, but then all of a sudden, like, like the team sees them old. And you see them like, like as they went through different things and, and I don't know, like, like that, that's yet another avenue that could be explored as well. Anyway, I was, I was like dying to talk about this part. I realize I'm totally nerding out on it, but that was one of the biggest things that I, I did really appreciate. I liked, I going into this film, I anticipated that Ant-Man was going to have a pivotal role just because of the whole quantum realm thing was like the only thing I could think of as maybe there's some sort of unexplored option that's there. And of course there was. How did his van get to be in a storage area? Well, five years had passed. And I, if I had to guess, it would be, you know, his family was also gone. So I think it probably was impounded. It was probably like, they probably, my mind is thinking they created probably like these, these um, warehouses or places where, folks who, who suddenly are gone or not paying their bills and that sort of thing. They just, they compartmentalize these spaces for folks in order to try and like clean up the streets and stuff. I mean, that was kind of my, my rationale for it, but now one of the things that I do think that the Russo brothers really did well for this film is and I mentioned this during the spoiler free um, portion of the show. I do think the idea of how poetic everything was in terms of coming full circle was just super cool. I loved how um, Tony Stark was the first character. Iron Man was the first movie to come out within the MCU. And of course he's the one who basically, you know, finishes the fight. He's, he's the one who, who saves the day kind of thing. Um, also looking at some of these other characters too, such as Black Widow with having, you know, she had Red Ledger and that sort of thing and and seeing the dynamic between her and Hawkeye as they were going for the Soul Stone. Once again, it's very poetic in the sense that like the first time that we had ever been there was with Thanos and Gamora. Right. And now we're seeing a different perspective of things where it's coming full circle where now you have two protagonists who are there and it was interesting how similar yet different the response was. Yeah, although I, I kind of felt a little cheapened by that because, I mean, what, what were they going to expect? I mean, we're, okay, they they knew that someone was going to have to die. No, I they mean, didn't. They, they, they didn't? No, the characters didn't know. We knew as viewers because we had seen what happened with Thanos and Gamora, but uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye didn't know what but they, they had, had. But they had been speaking with Tony Stark and Nebula, who had been also speaking with the Guardians of the Galaxy because they were all together. Uh-huh. So, I mean, yeah, I guess we could assume that none of them ever talked about the Soul Stone and had any kind of debriefing, which they did have a debriefing, but none of this ever came up. I yeah. mean, we can assume that, 
but I would highly doubt that that it was never brought up, but yet they knew the location of where they were supposed to go. True. Yeah, no, so, I, I agree. I think that there is, I think that it was a natural fit for those two to go. I think that if they, <laughs> here's the deal. Like, I think, I think they should have been more upfront about that. I think that, that, if, if they had presented the audience with a bit more of like, okay, we know that in order to get the soul stone, you have to sacrifice another person. Basically you have to sacrifice someone you love and looking at the other characters. I mean, Thor couldn't do it. His whole family's gone. Right. He's not in a relationship. Captain America, his love of his life is gone. Um, Hawkeye, his family's gone. Although they did use Hawkeye anyway, because he did have the bond with Black Widow. Black Widow's family literally was the Avengers. Right. Well, they could have used Tony. Well, but and see, yeah, that wouldn't have fit. I know. But I'm just, all I'm saying is that the way they addressed it, to, in my opinion, was okay, they're going up. It's going to be one of those two characters that's going to die. And, and, and at that point, I thought, okay, well, I guess it has to be these two characters, but. There's going to be no surprise. One of them's going to die. Yeah, one of them's going to die. I wasn't sure which one it was going to be, but I will say that I was happy that they made time for those two characters with that scene because those two characters have, have always shared a very special bond with each other, and we really haven't seen that exercised probably since Age of Ultron, I guess. So having that, and also it was done in a very real way. It wasn't sensationalized or anything like that. And quite honestly, the way it was executed was how it played out in my mind of like, you know, if it was like you and I, like we would be doing the same thing of, you know, not trying to hurt each other, but trying to get each other out of the way so the other person could do something like that. Like, I think that that there there's a very strong sense of selflessness that was going on, but it wasn't just limited to selflessness. I mean, they really did care for each other. I think it was like a, they, they, they loved each other in almost like a brother sister way. Yeah. I mean, that that'd be the only way that I could think of it would be a brother sister way because they didn't have any romance. I don't remember them ever being romantic. They had a good, like very close business relationship of sorts. Um, yeah. But it did keep me on my toes, though, because I thought, yeah, it's going to be Black Widow. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, and then <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. OK, now it's going to be. A, oh, my gosh, it's going to be Hawkeye. No, OK, yeah. It's yeah. Back. <laughs> I mean, Hawkeye wouldn't have made sense because you, you saw it in the beginning of the, fam uh, beginning of the family that uh, he lost, um, that, you know, he lost his family in the beginning and he's been trying oh, to get yeah, back to film, him. Yeah. yeah. And that he's been trying to get back to him. So for him to die at that point, it would, it would have sucked, but it, it wouldn't make any sense. But at the same time that, I mean, had he gone, then that would have been a more palpable sacrifice. Right. Because not only was he acting selfless for black widow, but also he was forfeiting his, like if he, him ever being able to see his family right. again. So again, I, I actually really like that film, oh, not film. I actually really like that scene. <laughs> We're right, getting way film. too excited. We can't I know, think I, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the idea of it being very poetic, you know, I think the time travel aspect really aided in that where like you had Steve Rogers who went back in time, could see the love of his life, just doing her thing and stuff. You know, he's, he's doing the little peeping Tom thing through the window. Or like you see Tony Stark talking to his dad who he had a very 
turbulent kind of relationship with. He wasn't very close to his father, but but being in that type of situation, you know, and I think that once again, Back to the Future did such a great job of that as well, where like you had characters, even if they're interacting with their future or past selves, there was this tenderness that was accompanied by them having this brief interaction with each other. And I really do believe that, especially when it comes to that sort of thing, like if you were to interact with a family member or yourself or whatever, I do think that tenderness is a byproduct of how that situation would play out. Unless, of course, you hate yourself. Yeah. <laughs> or you hate your family, in which case the, probably, the tenderness probably wouldn't be at the top of the list. You know, can I bring up something else about that? You sure show? can. Uh, so, now, th- th- this really grabs me by the ghoulies. Because if, if, if listeners will remember uh, when we were talking about Infinity War, I said they better not ditch Vision. I remember you saying that. Because they brought him in and I thought that he never really had much screen time. He's always been quarantined off because he was way too powerful. And so he never really got a, a, a chance to shine after Age of Ultron. Yeah. And so then we have Infinity War and he is in Wakanda and they're trying to get the Infinity Stone but keep him alive. And uh, T'Challa's sister says, oh, did you think about using whatever to, to connect all the neurons? And both, and all Tony Tony and uh, Bruce, Bruce Banner. Banner and all the, the, the bright minds said, oh, we just didn't think of it. So I thought, okay, they have a way they can make vision and keep him without the Infinity Stone. And they're going back in time, and they, which means they have plenty of opportunity to remake vision as they see fit and to make him better. Mm-hmm. And they just decided not to. Yeah, I'm surprised that the vision didn't come back in a weird way though. I'm kind of glad because I didn't want every single character to come back. I wanted there to be a, a some semblance of totality when it came to certain sacrifices. Cause if everybody came back then it's like, I don't know. I feel kind of slighted when it comes to infinity war, it loses the, the, just the seriousness of what happened at the end of that film. Yeah, it does. I mean, you could, you could, you can make both points. I see what you're saying, but why, why bring vision into the, the Avengers as a throwaway character, um, I mean, each person they, they would bring in. It's like if they brought in Black Panther for a movie and then they decided to kill him. And everybody would think, well, wait a second, why did you just bring out a Black Panther movie only to kill him? Same thing with Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> or what about uh, Captain Marvel? Okay, we just had a Captain Marvel movie. She's supposed to be really powerful. Well, she and wasn't then- in Infinity War. Right. Well, she was, she was <laughs> she a new was, character. Right. She's. But my point is, why would you bring her in with the with a movie only to kill her off? Because <clears> it <throat> seems like a waste of time and money and storytelling. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel a little bit robbed, but I could see. I guess where they're coming from, but it still doesn't make it an easier pill to swallow. Yeah. I but, and I love seeing Paul Bettany in there. Oh he, yeah, I, I'm a brings, huge Paul Bettany fan. He brings a different element to the group. Yeah, and so it's definitely not, a neat quality. It's not just that he's cool, but he he brought something different to the group. I mean, if you had nothing but Hawkeyes, you would think, well, what else do you have? And if Thor came in, or yeah. let's just say you had all Tony Starks, you'd think, okay, oh, they're, they're a bunch of smart guys. And then Thor comes in and then you know smashes everything or you have a Hulk can come in, mm. you know, but, and I think that was what, 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 what vision was is he brought this intelligence, this kind of supreme being, but a very gentle spirit. 
And I don't know. I, I, I really, really wanted to see him back on screen. But who knows? It's Disney and they've done time travel. So they might even have a show on Disney Plus coming up. Who knows? You never know. You know, speaking of the Hulk, what was your opinion of how he was able to balance the Hulk with Bruce Banner? I didn't. Well, that's the thing. I didn't really see him balance. I, I see him. I saw him be um, Banner Hulk, which he was a very buff scientist, but he didn't have any of the Hulk smash charm that everybody wanted and expected. I mean, I want to see him like go ape on everything. You know what I mean? Like I want to see him jump around and like grab things out of the sky and throw them to the ground. And I mean, I wanted to see him be Hulk and I just saw him just dialoguing the entire movie. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that um, it was a neat or novel concept to see how the two could coexist together like that. But I think especially toward the end during the last battle sequence, I wanted to see Hulk become unhinged. I wanted to see absolute rage come from the Hulk and just, I mean, he is not someone to be trifled with. Yeah, I mean, the last movie, he got his butt handed to him. And that's a good point too, is the fact that he got his butt handed to him because at the time Thanos had the power stone in the gauntlet. This time Thanos had no stones at all. So, I mean, that was an opportunity for some payback. Right. Can you imagine having round two where now the Hulk is on even footing and now he's like putting some, he's dishing some punishment out. Plus he heals fast too. Oh yeah. And so it didn't make it, I mean, so I know where they're coming from where he had, he, because he healed fast, he was the only one who could handle the the gauntlet and, um, you can't, I, I can't see Hulk smash putting his hand on the gauntlet and trying to snap. I mean, he would probably do a bunch of stuff with it and break the entire like Avengers mansion. So whatever. Um, so I kind of see it from that minute angle, but that doesn't alleviate that he's not really the Hulk anymore. He's just like maybe beast from the X-Men and yeah, in, in a way. Yeah. That's actually a good example there of, yeah. Like, like, yeah, he had kind of a Hank, Right. kind of a, I don't know, feel to him or whatever. Especially, yeah, I don't know. I keep on going back to where he's trying to get the Hulk out and he at, at the end of the, the Infinity War, he's saying, Hulk, we got some stuff we got to work out or work on. And then when we finally see him, it's just like, yeah, you know, we, this is who we are now. You know, let's take some selfies. I'm like, <laughs> what? Huh? Like, okay. It was kind of like a Disney park. Uh, yeah. But again, that's one of those things where they go, where, where the story is told, it's, "Ah, let's just move it right along. Okay. We only have three hours. Let's continue it. I did really enjoy that one scene with Bruce Banner and, um, the ancient one who was played by Tilda Swinton. Like I was not expecting her at all in the film. No, that, that was, that was cool. And just the, the insight that that scene portrayed of how she instantly recognized who he was. And she's like, you're early, but I want to, you know what would have been cool is, is if he brought the stone back to her to make the, make the past right. Mm-hmm. Because she's supposed to give it to Dr. Or not. She's going to get him. Dr. Strange more kind of takes it. But anyway, to make those sequence of events happen, right. He would have come back and said, here, I know it's strong. I told you I'd bring it back. I'm making good on my word. Here you go. Yeah. Bye. See you later. I'm going back to the future. And see once again too, like I'm, I don't know what kind of abilities the ancient one has. Obviously the, the time stone allows time travel to some extent. I was curious if there was any kind of way that she could play a more prominent role in being kind of one of those links. But um, I'm still thankful that, that that we had that particular scene. 
Now, moving forward to the... Well, before we get there, what did you think of Thanos? Uh, which Thanos? I'm thinking of the... Not the Thanos at the garden, but just the Thanos of just... just discovering kind of what the, the hero's plan is and then showing up in, uh, in their, their modified present day. I, you know, he had more of a sinister, um, approach to him. Like I'm just going to destroy your planet sort of thing. He did. Man, he's kind of upset. I absolutely loved that because in infinity war, he was, he had the, the presence of like a war general, you know, like he had that that mindset. He was just, he was exercising sheer will of what he thought in his mind was actually the right thing to do, which makes him that much more terrifying. He wasn't like some one dimensional villain of, you know, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> you know, like he wasn't like that at all. However, in this film, he took it personally. And that is even more dangerous than a war general, because at least in the previous film, he was more um, objective in what he was trying to accomplish and didn't take anything personally. In this one, I can't remember how he said it exactly, but he was like, you know, I typically plan to just let half of the population survive. However, you are beginning to annoy me. Yeah, but see that to me that sounded cliche. I like the older Thanos better. I I I have to say I like both. I think it's really cool to actually because you have to understand these these heroes have really been pushing hard to, to foil what he knew he had succeeded well, at his his destiny. But at, at, until that time, he didn't know. Well, no, he saw through the um, right up the vision. Just, right, but. He was still piecing everything together at that point. He yeah. thought, he thought, okay, I have found the stones. It's all just about getting them now. But he didn't know who the Avengers were. He didn't know who Tony Stark was. He didn't know about all this other stuff like the well, Avengers. No. Well, no, he, he knew who the characters were, but he, yeah, he, he just hadn't. It was earlier where he was still trying to hunt the stones down themselves. Oh, man. I love Thanos. I think Thanos is one of the coolest villains to just, hate and be frightened of and everything else. I mean, like there, there's so much to that character. Well, it's not just the, the, the character image, but it's a multitude of how the character was motion captured. It was Josh Brolin, his performance performance. Yeah, exactly. It was basically not to mention the image. I mean, the image could be fearful and demon-esque and, and more frightening. He's not a frightening looking person. No. He's just big and strong and purple. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so it, it's like three in one that make him who he is. He's like a deranged Barney. <laughs> if Barney had a um, evil stepbrother, Thanos would be it <laughs> with no tail. So let's pivot now over to the epic battle that happened toward the end of the film. I really loved Thanos's weapon. I think that that thing was just, oh my gosh, I think it just looked like that thing could just dish out a lot of punishment. And I thought it was a very fitting weapon for him just because if you think about it, we really haven't seen Thanos with some kind of melee weapon. We've always just seen him with the gauntlet. And his fists. And his 
purple fist. Thunder, lightning, thunder, lightning. <laughs> what did you think of the, the battle itself? I thought it, you know, it, it was, a, again, it was a mixed bag. It was, it was grandiose. Uh, I mean, I, on a movie of this scale. In a I, movie of this magnitude. I wouldn't expect anything less, but when you have so many characters on screen, you kind of want to see everybody do something cool. Yeah. And they tried to do that. I just didn't see enough of it. Like they, I think everybody had like five seconds. They did something cool, but I wanted to <laughs> see more, you know, I mean, we saw Valkyrie come in with her. Uh, that was awesome. Pegasus. Yeah. I hit you in the theater and you just kind of like, whatever. I'm like, what? Well, dude, I'm like glued to the I screen. No, I'm not going to look I at you. No, but, but, we were talking at the end of Ragnarok about how cool would it have been to see that battle with her and the Pegasus. Oh, and then I, they, I knew the purpose of, the, of the, the little slap. Like, I, I was totally with you. I was like, <laughs> I know. Get off I'm me. seeing it. I'm right here. <laughs> Do you see that? No, I don't. It's in five <laughs> feet from the screen. I don't see anything. Um, but we didn't see Valkyrie do anything cool. She came flying in and I thought, yes. And then she went away somewhere. I'm like, no. Yeah. I know you're a big fan of Valkyrie. So anyhow, um, I don't know. I wanted to see Korg do something cool. Who? Uh, Korg. That was that. Oh yeah. 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 Hey, would you look good? like to play some video games? Over <laughs> yeah. <here>? <laughs> you know what? By the way, Thor being the dude, it kind of dawned on me. The images I some of the images I remember of Thor in the comics, he did have like a more heavy set beard mm. and like more long hair, and so it's kind of funny how it went now how they wrapped it up and they they made the look work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of dawned on me after I saw the movie. Like, yeah, that could kind of work. Anyway, um, I don't know. I like they took time away. Uh, like they brought Pepper Potts in with Pepper Potts's. Iron Man suit. And I thought, right. I thought, okay, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. That actually did happen in the comic, but I don't know. Yeah. Awesome. Seeing mommy and daddy Iron Man fight, but <laughs> you have so many other characters that you could have also used that time to, to shoot. And we we're all waiting for other cool stuff to happen with the characters that we've grown to love that it was just, a, it was a bit, maybe too much. If he, so many characters are great to have, but when you have so many and so little time to, to make cool stuff happen, stuff's got to be edited out. You can't show it all. So I think what should have happened is they should have given even more, they, sh they should have given more time to the battle itself. Just because you had this huge army that was being deployed from Thanos' ship. And of course you had all the heroes making their, their triumphant return um, through the portals, basically all a ton of Wakanda troops. Well, yeah, that too. But I wanted to see more of like the, for instance, when we watched the original Avengers film with Loki coming in, in New York, the, the battle sequence was not hurried at all. It was actually a protracted battle that was going on and you had all these different scenarios going on. And, um, the camera tracking was absolutely fantastic showing it was, it would, it would like go on one superhero and then it would fly over to this other superhero. And then you'd see these two superheroes do something. And, you know, just, just the tracking alone was, was so epic to watch. And I really wanted to see more of that, which we did get, we did get, to be fair, we did get some of those sequences in this particular film. However, with it being kind of like the battle to end all battles, 
I think having an extra five minutes, five to 10 minutes worth where we're just seeing just amazing feet after amazing feet of things going on just occur where like I'm literally just immersed in this tremendous visual spectacle. I don't want to just get like a, a glimpse of the visual spectacle. I want to live in here for right. a while. I want to name it and call it my own. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to VR it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, to, to the credit of the, the visual effects folks, I mean, every one of those shots was just, I mean, you could pause it and you're like, this is amazing. Look at all this. Super, super cool. One of my, my, and, and well, before I get into this, um, I wanted to make a comment on um, the pepper pots thing. I personally didn't really. Pepper pots. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually did not prefer to, to see her on the battlefield. And this comes from a more logic side of my thinking where pepper pots is not a fighter. She does not go to war with other beings right. or other things like her strengths are more on just the, just this female empowerment of, of, of like running a company of, of keeping people keeping accountable. The foundation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like she, what the crazy thing was, is I actually had a conversation with um, a couple of female coworkers today about this particular um, scene and they were, were agreeing at the same time where I was talking about how the only person who can tell Tony what to do and make sense and have authority in doing so keeping him in check is Pepper Potts. Right. And it's not only Tony Stark, who, by the way, I mean, like he humors Captain America to be the leader, but I mean, he doesn't take orders really from right. anybody except Pepper Potts. And and Pepper also, it doesn't matter if it's another dude who's in the room or a bunch of dudes or whatever. I mean, like she just exudes this like very, like, I don't know, like this undercurrent of female authority, not in a, in a way of like, I'm a woman, you have to listen to what I tell you to do or anything like that. But just there's a, there's a vibe about her that I've always really appreciated that just commands respect. And it has that authority there. And I feel like this was a little too far. Like it was just spoon feeding almost. I will say too, that there was a particular sequence. I can't remember if it was with Captain Marvel or if it was with Scarlet Witch, but I think it was Captain Marvel where she had to make a run to, for the gauntlet or something. And she was by herself. And then all of a sudden it was like every single female superhero, yeah, right. con like, like converged on her location and it was like this whole like woman social justice thing. And right. I was like, you guys, you don't have to do that. Like right. when I watch that, it's like any one of these characters on their own or in other situations with other characters and stuff. I mean, they're amazing and they're powerful and they're independent and they're all this kind of stuff. But this, a scene like that ends up coming across as patronizing. Right. Where like, it's like, no, like in the simple fix for that is fine. You want to put like, say three female characters that are coming in at the aid and then sprinkle with like, like a couple of, of male protagonists right. and have them move forward. I'm in hundred percent. But if you do this thing where it's like, oh, we have this, this scene that's specifically obvious. toward women. Right. It's like, you guys know you're, you're, you're. It's it's too heavy handed. Right. You, you gotta you gotta rein it in just a bit. Not that I'm against it at all, because I'm not. But just you can't do that because your 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 viewers are very savvy people. They're gonna pick up on what it is that right. that and you're trying to push. Many people have picked up on that too. That's yeah. 
But anyway, I don't want to harp on that too hard because the what I want to get to is the moment where Thor's hammer goes to Captain America. Okay, I mentioned this way back when. You did. I mentioned that. I'm like, there's nothing that's that's keeping Captain America from picking up the hammer because when the hammer was blessed, I guess you could, the word would be, <laughs> uh, to Thor, it was basically you have to keep your heart pure and, and you have to live this moral life, responsible life in order to wield this great weapon or else it's not going to work. And that's why no one could really pick it up except for Thor once he figured that out. And so, but Captain America's lived his entire life like that. So it, it just makes sense. Except that, what, Rosa? He did keep the secret from Tony Stark as to how his parents died. Well, yes, right. But that he I'm had, just saying. He had good intent. Well, Thor's done a bunch of crazy stuff too. I mean, comparatively speaking. But Thor, remember, if you recall, Thor also was not worthy of the hammer. Remember how his father took it away? I know. I'm I'm just saying, I mean, with Captain America's and his intentions there were good with the with the goal in mind, his intentions were were pure. It it drove Tony insane, yes, but it wasn't like <laughs> I fooled you, <laughs> you know, sort of Nelson from The Simpsons, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. Anyway. It was truly awesome. I think that that was the loudest our theater got yeah. was when that hammer got into the hands of Captain America. I mean, the whole theater was like, oh! I almost like hit the, the girl's shoulder or like elbowed her. <laughs> you know, I mean, she probably would have done the same to me, but I mean, I think I like clapped my hands really hard or something yeah. and, and she did the same, but yeah. Yeah, everybody was absolutely just thrilled to see that. And, and man, I mean, the, the beating that took place after that too... With the ping pong and the shield and the hammer. Yes. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Gosh, that was such a payoff scene. I mean, you're watching that and it's just, it was, gosh, a thing of beauty. And also too, I mean, just the, 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 the damage that Thanos was also dealing toward Captain America too. I mean, that was horrible. I mean, it was, it was like straight up like those, those were murderous intentions right there. I, I do have to uh, <laughs> preface this with, the when Thor went back in time to Asgard and had that moment with his mother, who um, Russo, that whole scene was wonderful, by the way. Um, but towards the end, when he holds his hand up to call his hammer, basically, he's like, Come on! like "Where is this thing?" <laughs> and Rocket's looking at him like, "What are you doing? We got we, we got schedule Gosh, here." Rocket Raccoon was so funny in that movie. Yeah, um, yeah. I loved it's, it when he slapped Thor. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, come here. <laughs> Get, no I, I, I knew that was coming. I knew that was oh, coming. Gosh, that was funny. But anyhow, that whole en entire sequence was was uh, was very good. Probably one of my one of one of many favorite scenes of the movie. Which the, the Captain America Thanos thing, or the Thor calling for his hammer? Yes. Yeah, well, I mean both, but yes, one of one of many favorite scenes. And I and you know speaking of that scene too, you know I loved going that through that poetic thing. For instance, you know I, I mentioned Captain America and, and Tony Stark, but Thor was the same way. Right. Where like you could tell Thor was just really dealing with a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, and just missing his family. And for him to have that opportunity to be able to say hi to his mom once more. And not only that, but his mom know what's up. Like, yeah. no, he's from the future, but she didn't want to know what her fate was. Right. It, that was well done. It was extremely well done. I mean, you really got that son 
mother type of dynamic going right. in there. I mean, and that was precisely what he needed to have the motivation to move forward and to press on. And he knows that she's going to die that day. Yeah. And he kept that secret. He didn't tell her. Yeah, he did. And I think that that was kind of the case with a lot of these characters, like, you know, having Captain Mar- uh, Marvel, having uh, Captain America see the love of his life or seeing or having Tony Stark be able to interact with his dad. You know, those types of things. Family is a reoccurring theme throughout the Avengers, just like it is in Back to the Future or it is in Star Wars. Family is one of the most powerful conduits when it comes to things like having the gumption to move on or not feeling like like you're stuck at like a prisoner within some sort of, of horrible situation. I mean, family is, is a very... Um, or can be a very powerful antidote, excuse me, antidote to that sort of thing. Anyway, one of the things that I I also mentioned earlier too, was just how the portal thing. I mean, of course it, I, (laughs) the geek inside me was absolutely ecstatic to see all these characters come out and just have that amazing lineup of just characters who are ready to just go to town with, with the enemy. It was, it was really, really cool. But just to reiterate, I do think that instead of having these convenient portals open up and let people come through, I really, really wished they would have gone a bit farther with the whole time travel component. Right. When are we going to talk about Tony Stark, Rose? Well, let's talk about him now. I think Robert Downey Jr. needs a got to be award. I really do. I'm, I'm actually being serious. Like really? he owned that part from, I mean, from infinity war to end game. He did not play a corny part. He did not play like this. Okay. I'm a superhero. I'm going to, you know, he absolutely owned this role yeah. and with the emotion and what he had to go through as an actor from the, from the first and second movie, I mean, he lost a ton of weight. Yeah. Um, and he completely played the character with conviction. Oh my goodness. Yes. And that's, I think nowadays that's really hard to come by playing a character with conviction. I think that it's the nail on the head. Well, and I think when you play a character for as long as he has, once again, he's played it for 11 years. Yeah. You really get to know that character inside and out. And I think he's able to build upon the previous experiences of Tony Stark because at, the, at that point when he sees Thanos again, Man, I mean, like, it's just, you could see just the the psychological ramifications of just what he has gone through in the past leading up to this point. But also, too, you see him, you, you, how could I say this? You see Tony Stark mature as a person. Like, in the very first movie, he's just all charisma, playboy, and yeah, playboy. flamboy and playboy, I can think of anything and make it sort of thing. Yeah. And as he has these traumatic experiences, but he's still popular with the crowds and with everybody else, he's still rich, he's still powerful. Um, but then he get, wants to start leaving a legacy. He doesn't have a family yet, but kind of takes Spider-Man under his wing and really cares for him, father-son style. And I don't know, just to see him go from this, this journey from where he started, it's not so much the story, but the, the but he acted out that maturing uh, very well, I thought. Yeah. No, he, he did a lot. One other scene that um, I'm glad I, I was able to remember was I absolutely love, one of my favorite scenes, very, very quick, very simple, but very memorable, was just Doctor Strange is holding back this huge 
sea of water. Right. And he's doing his thing. He, he's he's um, just really just focusing on that. And it cuts to Tony. Who you can tell all of a sudden has an idea, but you could tell he's second guessing whether or not he should act upon that idea. Right. And he looks over at Dr. Strange. There are no words that are shared between those two men, but he looks at him with almost like a, am I supposed to act on this idea I just got? And it cuts back to Dr. Strange who looks over at him and you see his hands in that kind of like magic position. Right. And very subtly, his index finger goes up and he makes the one numerical way. one, one way. I, even talking about that, I get goosebumps all over my arms because he realizes at that point that is his destiny. Tony realizes that is his destiny to sacrifice himself. And he realizes that is the only way that we can win. And it was foretold man versus fate by Dr. Strange when out of 14 million 605 or whatever it was that he did, it was that one way and he confirmed it. Well, and only Tony could do it. Only Tony could do it. I mean, that was a triumph of storytelling right there. And for, for Tony to all of a sudden do what he had to do to go through there. And also just with a nanotechnology, be able to like instantly forge his own like version of the gauntlet. I mean, that was a real surprise move because especially when Thanos went like that again, when he, when he snapped his fingers, yes. I'm like, no, not again. Yeah. And then you realize nothing happened. You're like what? And, yeah. you, and you look over and they're gone. I'm like, what the heck? What happened? And just seeing that. I also thought too, that it was very maturely handled the way Tony died. Right. I think that it was, it was just believable, like looking at it and seeing how he, you could tell his body could not handle the sheer power of the infinity stones. Humans can't handle that kind of power. And so you're seeing his body just shut down. I mean, he is dying. But before he goes completely, he's able to have closure with Pepper Potts and he's able to have closure with Peter Parker, who he really took the blame of, of him dying in the first place. You know, it's going to be interesting to see with Spider-Man Homecoming if they touch on this. I'd be you amazed mean, if you they- mean Far From Home? Homecoming. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Far From Home. What am I talking about? Uh, far From Home. If they touch on this, I think they'd have to. I think they would have to. I mean, Peter, this is a huge thing Peter Parker just went through. He can't just be like, okay, I'm going to Europe. Yeah. You know, no problem. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how these things move forward. But um, yeah, I, I thought that that was, again, it's, it's poetic. Right. You look at how this whole franchise got started with Iron Man and at the end of the Iron Man film, he says, I am Iron Man. Yeah, and then like, at the oh. end of Endgame, he says the line again, I am Iron Man. And he snaps his fingers. I, I, I just the, love that. The expression on his face, too. He knew it was coming. I don't know. It, he, yeah, yeah. I just think he he deserves a, some sort of award. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not like an Academy Award, but an award of sorts. There's... Sorry about that. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was my alarm. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Some, maybe not like Academy Award or anything, but he deserves definitely something. He he is probably the most beloved character in this entire um, franchise. But Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's get into some, unless you had any other 
thoughts about the film or characters or anything else, I was going to segue us into the IMDb trivia. Well, one one thing I wanted to bring up. Right, like, <laughs> one thing I was confused on, actually two things, was the first it was the gauntlet because in the last Infinity War, the that dwarf dude, mm-hmm. big dwarf guy, yep, yep. Um, had to make something specific for Thanos to wear that can handle the sheer force and power of all the Infinity Stones. And only he could make it in the entire galaxy. And then in back here on Earth, they just made it out of a composition of metals and it was good to go. So I thought, okay, that kind of, okay, I'll just go with it. But <laughs> at first, it, I mean, it was uh, unearthly metals that could actually hold the thing and make it work. Yeah. And now it was, you know, it could just be aluminum gold alloy and it would be absolutely fine. That kind of thing, yeah, I, you bring up a good point about that. And un- unfortunately, I just don't have an answer for right. it. Right. Um, and then I, I thought, okay, no one knows how, like, what's going to happen when they snap their fingers. But Thanos snapped his fingers in the last film, and then half the entire galaxy, good and bad, went away. They snapped their fingers again. Maybe it was the different finger that they snapped, but then everybody in the entire universe came right back again. And so that's so the way that the, the snapping works is that it's all based on what thought you have in your mind when you snap your fingers. So in Thanos's case... That's where what I was talking about, where he was very objective. He just wanted to kill half of the universe, regardless of who that creature or species was. In Hulk's case, when Hulk snapped his fingers, his thought was, I want to bring everybody who got dusted back. So that's what happened. And then you saw it again with Tony, where Tony's thought was, I'm going to end Thanos. I'm going to end his entire army. And that's what happened when he snapped his finger. God, okay, that makes sense. Thank you, Russ. My pleasure, Steve. And I also wanted to say I was glad that Captain Marvel didn't... I mean, they started doing this, but they didn't finish it the way I was hoping they wouldn't, which was she just flies into the last minute and then saves the day. And they I start- love seeing those sequences of Captain Marvel, by the way. Like, her blasting through his ship was so powerful. I mean, that was cool. Yeah, it, it was definitely... She was so tiny, and she's like... It w- yeah, it was definitely cool. Um, Thanos had the look on his face. He's like, oh, that's my ship. It cost a lot of money. I just had that thing paid off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they started with her... You know, oh, you didn't have me, so of course you couldn't do it. And I got to be at other galaxies. You know, you guys aren't all the ones that have trouble. And I thought, where else do you have to go? You're supposed to be here. Like, what? Okay, so I had uh, the same conversation. Remember those two lady co-workers uh-huh. I was talking about? They had the same comment that you just had. Did they? And so I was saying that my view on it is, I don't think she was saying it in a way to sound arrogant or derogatory or condescending, anything like that. I think that it was something that she had to do because once the snap from Thanos had taken place, suddenly you had nothing but chaos going on all over the universe. And she felt compelled to have to go and try and restore some semblance of order on all these different places. Because if you think about it, if you were to have half your population go away, there would be a serious power vacuum that would take place. I mean, you 
there would be all kinds of unrest and people trying to make power grabs or people who would be trying to steal from one another or kill each other or whatever it is. I mean, basically you would just have chaos. And so with, with her abilities, the battle itself with Infinity War had already taken place. So she felt convicted to have to go and try and help these other planets in the meantime. But she was very quick to say, if you find Thanos, tell me and I'll come back and help you. Page me. Which she did. <laughs> so, I mean, like, like, and to me, like, like, I can understand where she's coming from with that. Because, like, I did have the knee-jerk reaction. Wait a minute, why, why aren't you here? Because this is where it is. But then I caught myself and I was like, man, that's kind of a selfish notion that I just had. Because it ain't all about us. You know, there if there are all these other planets and all these all the suffering going on, she is someone who could very much help in, in that kind of capacity. So that was really cool. I also loved um, her little battle royale with Thanos too. I mean, that was really cool watching because you could see in his face he's like, "This chick is tough." Actually, the Scarlet Witch. She, oh she yeah, was tough, Scarlet Witch Scarlet too. It was the tougher battle was with Scarlet Witch. I mean, it was. He actually had to call on his uh, his mothership of sorts to, to shoot everybody <laughs> dead because yeah. she was whooping his tush. Oh, she was pissed. Yeah, that was incredible. I wanted to see more of that. Yeah. One more thing, Ross, before you go on to the uh, MDB. Mm -hmm. So we got to talk about Captain America at the end. Okay. What I would have wanted to see. What would you want to have seen, Steve? You see, I think they wrapped this up a little bit too quick. A little too tidy? A little too uh, snappy? A little tidy-whitey? <laughs> I, I, we all know his contract's up. A lot of their contracts are up. Matter of fact, in previous episodes, you and I were both saying that we thought both Tony Stark and Captain America were going to be mm -hmm. done. So we get to the end of it, and of course, he's going to go back and bounce along through time and just kind of place every little stone with, with here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. No problems whatsoever. And then he just comes back as an old man and here's your shield. That's it. Five minutes done. I thought that <clears throat> wasn't a very good tribute to Captain America. I would have liked us to follow him and him actually surprise uh, what's-her-face that he's been thinking about all this time and have her go, <gasps> like, you're still alive. And he says something like, I, I promised you I'd come back and take you on this date. Something romantic, but all you see is a, a glimpse of them dancing, and then he's an old man, and then he passes the torch, and then that's that, and then that's over, and here we go, on to the next thing. I thought that's kind of does him a disservice. I actually liked it. I thought... <laughs> I thought it was a nice case where we, as an audience, didn't have to be spoon-fed that. I think it was expected that we fill in those those visual gaps. Oh, yeah, we did do that. I would have liked to see how that those events would have played out. I can imagine all, everything all day long. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really did like... I You know, it, it was that, again... The, these scenes were really well done. They were just so, they were handled so gracefully and mature. You know, just, I loved how Falcon came over and I've always really liked uh, Falcon. Yeah. And looking at Captain America as an old man, 
and listening to him say how like, you know, he's led a beautiful life and all that kind of stuff. And, and this is a guy who like, you know, he's always been the character, like he's been the man out of time. You know what I mean? Like he's always wrestled with being frozen and then coming into this, in this new world that he doesn't understand. I mean, it, it was a very beautiful thing, but even more so than that was the idea that he was then passing um, the torch, like you said, over to Falcon as the new Captain America. And that's also um, accurate when it comes to the comics. Right. Well, yeah. So it's cool that, that they're, you know, they're paying attention to what the comic books. I mean, that, that was a, a big moment in comic books. Right. So I don't know. I, I thought that, that that was another very intimate moment similar to that of when Tony was dying. And I, I thought it was handled very well. Yeah. I'm not saying it was handled poorly. You just, you just wanted to see more. I wanted to see more. I thought it was just handled. I think it was handled fine, but it was handled too quick. We had this whole thing leading up with Tony and then with captain after Tony's funeral, like, okay. And this happens. Okay. Roll credits. You know, my hope is that when this movie comes out on like 4k or whatever, I really do hope that they come out with like a special extended version. That's what I said. I totally agree. I think, um, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings really did a great job of including that on Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, and Return of the King, where like they they added like forty five minutes to each one. Right. Totally worth it. Absolutely, totally worth it. Made you even more immersed in that world. The fans ate it up. I mean, right. sales figures were off the charts because it's like, wait, you mean to tell me there's 45 additional minutes per movie that I love that yes. I haven't seen? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sign me up. I'll buy that. Yeah. So I really do hope that when it comes to the Infinity Saga, just with Infinity War and with um, Endgame, I would really appreciate having for another 45 minutes to an hour per movie to be able to flesh in more of those details. And I mean, they with the m amount of money that they're making, again, opening weekend of this one film alone, $1.2 billion. I'm pretty sure they have all kinds of unused footage that's on the cutting room floor that they could somehow weave back into it for a special edition. What they'll probably do is use it as bait for people who want to sign up for Disney plus. Oh, just, I'm not even, I'm, I think that would be the case. The first viewings would be on Disney plus. I, absolutely. At, because they're already starting to plan Marvel shows on Disney plus. Right. There's going to be a, a Bucky and, um, and, and Sam. Falcon. Yeah, Bucky and, yeah. And, and Sam or Falcon. Falcon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the same. There's going to be at least three different shows, Marvel shows that have to do with the Avengers on Disney plus. So, you know, if you get Disney plus you get Marvel, everything. Yeah. And I think they kind of left the, that door open because there's a lot that can be interpreted with this movie that they could draw from make additional shows. Okay. Well, they were gone in the, in the past. Uh, they could also do this. You know, I, I would not doubt it one bit. All right, let me get into some of this IMDb Fine. trivia. Cause we, we could talk about, you know, if we keep going, it's, our podcast episode will also be three hours long, which, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be uh, against that. But uh, anyway, some of our listeners may have to go to the bathroom, just like how they did at the movie theater. Yeah, there's earbuds. <laughs> it's not like we can hear you. <laughs> or can we? <laughs> All right. Um, movie trivia courtesy of IMDb. Avengers Endgame. 
became the biggest pre-sale title ever on Fandango and Adam Ticket sites, causing them to crash minutes after the sales were announced. It accomplished this feat in only six hours. Some theaters across the world had so many sold-out showtimes on the opening weekend that Cinemark, Regal, and AMC theaters chose to add new overnight screenings so that they would be working around the clock to accommodate extra shows, which, of course, we talked about. Even though Captain Marvel was released one month before this film, Brie Larson shot her scenes for this movie first. Interessante. A little bit of the old time travel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That makes sense, though. Evangeline Lilly and Paul Rudd were filming Ant-Man and the Wasp and this film at the same time. A little busy schedule for Mm. you. Again, goes back to what I was talking about. Crazy feat of like trying to coordinate <laughs> schedules. Hey, since you already got the costume on, why don't you come over to the set B over here? And uh, I'm in San Francisco though, and you're like in Scotland. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Get one of those like Hollywood red eye flights. <laughs> As they did with the previous film, the Russo brothers wrote a letter to fans asking them not to spoil anything about the movie as part of a viral campaign on the internet. The hashtags were don't spoil the end game and Thanos de- demands your silence. Hashtag spoil and die. <laughs> yeah. Since his introduction in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Chris Evans has appeared as Steve Rogers slash Captain America in one film a year, except for 2015, where he appears twice, totaling 11 times. He has starred in Captain America, the first Avenger in 2011, the Avengers 2012, an uncredited cameo in Thor, the Dark World of 2013, Captain America, the Winter Soldier in 2014, Avengers Age of Ultron in 2015, an uncredited cameo in Ant-Man in 2015, Captain America, Civil War 2016, a special cameo in Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017, Avengers Infinity War 2018, and an uncredited cameo in Captain Marvel, last, of course, being Avengers Endgame. In October 2018, Evans officially announced via Twitter that he expressed great satisfaction in being involved in the franchise for almost a decade. Because he wouldn't be in any other movies otherwise. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. He, He has been in other movies. Yeah, I know that. Avengers Endgame and its predecessor were filmed entirely on digital IMAX cameras, making them the first Hollywood film shot entirely on IMAX cameras in an exclusive open mat aspect ratio of 1.9 by 1. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige has said that Star Trek The Next Generation, All Good Things from 1994, the series finale episode of Star Trek The Next Generation 1987, inspired this film. We'll have to go watch those, Steve. Okay. The cast includes 19 Academy Award nominated actors. And I believe it. From that long list. In September 2018, the Russo brothers posted a picture on social media of the film's set with the caption, Look Hard. This led many to speculate and believe the title of this film was hidden somewhere inside the photo. In fact, Steve... The film's subtitle, Endgame, can be made out by the shapes and layout of the objects in the image. Hmm. Maybe the actor's contracts, huh? My, my. 
I love it when they think of stuff like that so far ahead. Oh, it's just, just oh, it's great. Scott Lang's storage unit number is 616, which is the same number for the primary continuity of the Marvel Comics universe. Hmm. Hmm. This film marked chapter 10 of phase three in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Opening night tickets were resold on eBay for thousands of dollars with a pair of IMAX tickets, Steve, in New Jersey, selling for $15,000. Think about that. eBay, pair of IMAX tickets for opening night of Endgame sold for $15,000. Someone's got money to burn. I tell you what, this joygasm set would get finished a whole lot faster with that little extra side. You can buy a car or movie tickets. <laughs> the title Avengers Endgame was foreshadowed in Avengers Age of Ultron from 2015 when Tony Stark discussed the wormhole invasion above New York from the Avengers 2012 and says, quote, up there, that's the endgame. I have to go back and watch that. Oh. At Tony Stark's funeral, a teenage boy is seen standing behind Scarlet Witch and yeah. Bucky. Who is that guy? I'll tell you, Steve. This is Harley Keener. All right. The boy from Iron Man 3 who took Tony in his shed uh, as he fixed his yes. Iron Man suit. That makes perfect sense. I tell you, it's the small details like that. Yeah. Make a movie. My goodness. In the funeral scene, Morgan asks, for, you know, Morgan, who's Tony Stark's daughter. Right. Uh, Morgan asks for a cheeseburger and Happy, you know, Happy Hogan. Yeah. Smirks and says that her father loved cheeseburgers. This is a reference to Tony Stark requesting an American cheeseburger upon arrival at the press conference after escaping from the cave in That's Iron right. Man. I do remember that. I, yeah. Dude, I, I'm telling you, I'm not going to lie. I got a lump in my throat when uh, during that scene. Yeah. Captain America wielding Thor's hammer comes from the comics where Steve Rogers has proven himself worthy by the enchantment cast on the hammer. This also marks the second film where Steve Rogers makes an attempt to wield the hammer. The first was in Avengers Age of Ultron, though in that film he was only able to move the hammer slightly off the table. Remember that? Mm -hmm. That subtle movement was noticed by Thor. Now here's the crazy part. Director Joss Whedon hinted in an interview that Rogers had been able to lift the hammer the whole time, but didn't do so as to not hurt his friend Thor's feelings. Interessante. I believe it. Tony Stark kicks off the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Infinity Saga with the phrase, I am Iron Man. Of course, we talked about this. At the end of the climactic battle, Tony's last words are, I am Iron Man, bringing the Infinity Saga to a close. Steve Rogers ends up in an aged form by the end of the film and hands the shield and the Captain America title over to Sam Wilson. This, um, this came from the comics when Steve Rogers was temporarily turned into an old man by having the super soldier serum. Wow. That's kind of hard to say super soldier serum drained from his body, forcing Sam to become Captain America during the 2014 comic book storyline, the tomorrow soldier for this film. While he has the serum, it didn't stop his aging. Right. So when he takes the long way back to the present after one way time traveling to the forties, even though he's a, he's a very fit 105 year old, it shows. 
And finally, Steve, in the beginning of the film, Tony Stark and Nebula have been lost in space for 22 days. This is the 22nd film in the Marvel Cinematic mm, Universe. Right, yeah, I know. Poetry, Steve. Poetic. I don't know about poetic. I just think it's more like attention to detail. Oh, well, that too there. So, in conclusion, what are your thoughts slash rating on this film, Avengers Endgame? And actually, I would like you to right. rate and just review the concluding thoughts in two different capacities. One, I want you to do it with the combination, since it technically is one story of Infinity War and Endgame, and then also just Endgame by itself. You know, I asked you that question when, when Infinity War came out. I said, and you can go back and listen to it, am I going to be rating this? As all of one movie? I know you did, Steve. You're like, I know no, you you're like, no, we're just going to rate it as... I'm like, okay, fine. I circled back around, Steve. And you know, I took my own time travel serum and went back to that time and I decided, you know what? I think that'd be a fun thing to do. That time travel serum was actually ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it tasted good. Yeah, <laughs> you're not supposed to eat it. I need a hot dog. <laughs> Anyhow, let me see. Well, so what I rated Infinity War was a four and a half. And if you remember, I was going to say four and three quarters. You said, no, we're not going to get it a quarter, Steve. I remember. <clears throat> so being that I rated Infinity War as 4.5 and liked it, more than this movie, I would say this movie is a four. Okay. Altogether, though, I would still say a 4.5. Okay. Okay. Now, when they made this, but it's, it's, it would have been better had they not rushed some of the details. And I get why they did it because they had a story to tell. And only so much time to tell it, but still at the end, I think, as a nitpick or critical person that I am, I shouldn't have to feel like I need to nitpick or go back and double check other details to think, didn't you look at what you told us the story you know, in the past and kind of compared it? Now that doesn't, I was not, oh, no, I don't like that. Because of that stuff, and then they robbed Vision from me. And, uh, you know, the stuff like that, I just... I really enjoyed the movie, but it just didn't leave as good of a taste of my mouth as what I wanted. Sure. Will I still buy? Yes. Will I want? Will I buy only the copy with the extended film? Yes, if they bring it out. Otherwise, if they bring it out and I hear there's nothing, I might just wait a little bit because you know what they're probably going to do? They're probably going to be like releasing them like they do Star Wars. They go, oh yeah, here's this one with the computer graphics. Here's this one with this another version of it. Here's the, you know, I'll wait. Russ, I'll wait to get the version I want. Oh. <clears throat> Are you done? Yeah, you know, but I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I just want to make sure I'm not going to cut you. I just wonder where they're going to go from here because we, we got we, we got Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor they, that seem like they're going to be moving on, even though their Thor's contract I think is up. Also, I don't know, but it looks like that's where they're going to continue it. 
course, with Spider Man. But I don't know. I yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't think about it. So for me, I had rated Infinity War five stars. Oh. And this particular film, I agree. I think that it was overall, it was not quite as strong, compelling, and just an overall complete package as Infinity War was. So by itself, I would I would say I would probably follow a similar pattern of I would give this particular film a 4.5. And looking at it in its entirely entirety, excuse me. <laughs> Look at like this movie entirely in its entirety. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way of saying it. I think it's a monumental achievement that they were able to create this in the first place. And looking at the wisdom that the, you know, whoever, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably Kevin Feige, but looking at how they didn't just make one movie, but they decided to tell this story through two, three hour movies is, is just a stroke of genius. And I'm really glad that as a fan of comic books, as a fan of these characters, Peter Jackson, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Peter Jackson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that it really does say a lot about how this is a love letter to the world that is comic book storytelling. And I just, I mean, I'm, I'm just so happy. I'm so thrilled about being in the theater for both of these films, seeing just this, this entire cast orchestrated in the way that they were. I think that there are things like small little nitpicky things that I would have liked to have seen done a bit differently. But those, I have to emphasize, are small nitpicky things. When I look at what was created before me, I mean, it it is very difficult to think of another film that is on that level. And so for me, I, I mean, I, I would say I would give the, the films as a whole, as a whole package, I would just give it five stars. These movies are why I go to the theater. These movies are why I want to watch movies on a big screen and have the amazing experience. These films were created and designed for that level of an experience. These movies are the type of movies that cause me to not have to balk at the ticket prices. And that's, a, that's saying something in this day and age when ticket prices have just absolutely just skyrocketed. And you really find yourself wanting to pick and choose what you're going to see versus just waiting for it to come out on Netflix or whatever else. But I have um, just a tremendous amount of respect for the Russo brothers and Kevin Feige as well as all the cast and crew who have worked on these films. Um, it's, it's just, it truly is a, a, just been a wonderful time to be a comic book lover over the last decade. And I look forward to seeing how they continue acting as, cust as custodians moving forward um, into the next decade and see um, what kind of stories they still have yet to be told. Because as you and I both know in the comic book world, there are several great sagas that are just waiting to be told. And especially considering the fact that Disney has now acquired Fox and now owns X-Men I really hope that they're able to put the Avengers 
on the shelf temporarily, be able to do a, a proper reboot of the X-Men, build them up in a way that has, you know, just, just a tremendous fan following like they did with the Avengers and then bring both the X-Men and Avengers together to fight some sort of evil that comes up in the future. And, I, and again, I will gladly be at the theater to watch that also unfold. I was a little surprised at the end when they didn't have any post credits, something rather. In no. a way though, I, you know, I was surprised too, but at the same time I liked it. You know, I was thinking about that and, and like you, you did hear Tony's hammer. Right. And that sound was from the first Iron Man movie of him making that first suit of armor to get out of the mountain. So I think that it was very fitting just because once again, like this, this is in a, in a way, um, the closure of, of, of a specific chapter to the Marvel cinematic universe. Right. And so I think it's very fitting where like, like even though we know that there are other movies like Spider-Man far from home, that's coming out still when it comes to something like this, it just, it, it just was a nice kind of bookend. You know yeah. what I mean? Like a bookender. Right. So anyway, that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm. That's J-O-Y-G-A-S-M. And consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention, it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio. Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud.com slash TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you next week. Clankety clank. 